Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Good morning, everyone. Reading from Isaiah, verse 6, 1 to 8. And then... It's Matthew. I'll find that in a minute. Okay, Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Right. Sorry, the next reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. Sabra, thank you very much. As Mark comes forward, um, you will notice that we lost the updates. Real shame, it's a great video today. Uh, But let me just say the one verbal update that I was supposed to say afterward and which um, is essential. This coming Wednesday, we have our worship and wake gathering as we do once a month as you know, and uh, as we advertised a few weeks ago, we're going to be praying specifically into the next phase of uh, the developing the, the buildings around Trinity. So if you can join us for that, that would be absolutely wonderful. Information on when and where, we'll, we'll gather here. 7.30. It's 7.30 now because I've just said it. Uh, at this point, and we'll, we'll get an opportunity in that time just to look around and pray around the buildings, just see what, what God says. So if you can join us for that, you'd be really welcome. Why don't I pray for Mark 
as he speaks to us today. Father, thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you for the evidence of your word in Mark's life and throughout this congregation. Father, we just pray that you would give each of us receptivity to what you are wanting to say specifically to us today. And I pray for Mark that preaching this sermon would be joyful for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Welcome. Let me add my welcome to Johnny's welcome, particularly if you're new. I've got a pen because I've been rapidly crossing things out because we're behind on time. Um, Welcome. You've come on a good week. It's the first week of Lent. If you feel like you've missed out on Ash, get excited because that's coming later. Um, But it's also a good week to be here, not just because it's the first week of Lent, but because it's the first week of our new Belong series. Um, If you've been around for the past few weeks, you might have noticed that we're talking a lot about Belong. There have been some events. We've had a bring and share lunch. Um, We've had a volunteer thank you. We're heading for a big Friday night in across the city in March, and there are more details to come about that next week. But as we're in this season, we want to take the opportunity to speak into what it means to belong at Trinity, what it means for you and me together to be this church. We say a lot that our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. And in this series, we want to talk about what it could be like to be that kind of church, what kind of people you and I might become, what it might take, what it might demand from us, what we might see if we were those kinds of people. And our heart is that we'd see God renew his church and renew us as his people in this place and time that his kingdom may come in Nottingham as it is in heaven. So we've talked about our vision before in terms of renewal, in terms of fresh fire and new life. And during this Lent, we want to dig into that theme of renewal, expand on it a bit, and think about how it might land for you today. So in the coming weeks, we're going to consider six renewals, personal, relational, missional, generational, structural, and cultural. Ooh. But it's not... Come on, guys. It's not supposed to just be some kind of buzzy series to get you excited for Easter. The hope is that we'll be a church of hunger, not a church of repetition. A church not of the same old, but a church who come longing for Jesus each week. The hope is that as we give our attention to these areas through Lent, we can journey towards being renewed again by Jesus' death and resurrection in a holistic way that transforms our church community and makes us the kind of people that can live out his love. Are you ready for that? Do you want to belong to that kind of church? I do. Great. If you've got a Bible, turn or swipe No judgment here, unlike Johnny last week. Um, Swipe to Isaiah 6, and let's start there. Verse 1 reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Really quickly, I want to highlight three things here. First, King Uzziah has died. Now, Isaiah 
is a prophet who is close to the kind of king's court. And if you've read any of the Old Testament before, you'll know that there's a lot of upheaval, a lot of bad kings, of empires, opportunistic warlords, seizing moments like this to take over. Isaiah finds himself in a moment of precarious change. You remember the kind of unsettling feeling that came with COVID and is still kind of lingers. You remember the outpouring of grief for Queen Elizabeth. You remember the kind of feeling that nothing's stable as King Charles gets, um, gets diagnosed with illness earlier this year. It's that kind of precarious moment. That's the context in which Isaiah sees his vision. King Isaiah's died. Second, Isaiah sees the Lord. God speaks in many and various ways in Scripture and in our lives, but he has a pattern of picking and choosing very carefully when he's going to reveal himself to a person. He doesn't show his face that often. And he chooses this liminal moment to reveal himself to Isaiah. There's a lot of famous stuff in Isaiah, like the prophecy about um, a virgin bearing a child, or comfort, comfort my people, or what Johnny picked up earlier about our sins being uh, scarlet, but us being washed white as snow. There's, um, there's a promise that in quietness and trust will be our strength, in repentance and rest will be our salvation. There's the promise in Isaiah 43 that fear not because the Lord has redeemed you. He's called you by name and you are his. He gives people in exchange for your life. None of that is what God chooses to say to Isaiah in this precarious moment. He doesn't give Isaiah famous words of comfort here. He shows him a vision of himself. King Isaiah has died, Isaiah sees the Lord, and the Lord is seated on the throne. Who tends to sit on thrones? Not a trick question. Kings, queens. But King Isaiah has died. And in Isaiah's vision, it's Yahweh who sat on the throne. When the Bible tells the story of how Israel got a king, Samuel the prophet tells them that they don't need one and kings are going to be awful. They will tax you. Literally the argument. Um, but they press ahead anyway. And God says to Samuel, don't worry. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. The people of Israel rejected God by requesting a human king. You see, God's intention was always that it would be his kingdom that came that they would be his people, that he would be their God, and that he himself would sit on the throne. And now, in this moment of precarious change, he shows Isaiah himself, and he's on the throne, and it changes everything. The king has died, Isaiah has seen the Lord, and the Lord is seated on the throne. What's happening? At this moment of precarious change, God reveals himself, and what Isaiah learns is that it's actually God's kingdom, and we just live in it. See, personal renewal starts with a renewed vision of God. And you and I, we need this now. We're not unlike Isaiah. We live at a moment of precarious change, not just an era of change, but a change of era, as someone has put it. So what message might God want to speak into that? What is it that you and I, what is it that the church most needs to hear at a moment, potentially maybe even a moment of judgment? At moments like this, God reveals himself. And when God reveals himself, you see him seated on the throne. This happens when God reveals himself in Jesus as well. The central claim 
of the Christ followers, the people that wrote the New Testament, was that Jesus was Lord. And I put arrows into this slide, so please look at it. This meant not just that he was Yahweh, not just that Jesus was God, the God of the Old Testament, the Jewish God, a scandalous claim, but it also meant that his followers owed him their allegiance. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. And they expected this to show up in everything that you did. Listen to this from Rowan Williams. The early church expected people to be able to draw the obvious conclusions from the simple starting point of living under a new authority. They expected your life to change because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. See, personal renewal, it comes when you realize that you are no longer on the throne of your own life. You have a new Lord. You're under a new authority. Honestly, that's why it takes a vision of God, not an understanding of God. It isn't a matter of logic or reason or argument, which is a real pain if you're trying to write a sermon, because it's something that I can't deliver to you in words. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. See, there's power in God's revelation of himself. There's power in the gospel. Listen to this from 1 Timothy 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I want you to notice something in this verse. What do I want you to know? I've lost my place. Moral failure. It's moral failure is what Paul presents as the evidence of a lack of gospel power. That's not an equation that I tend to draw. When I'm talking about power, I tend to be thinking about miracles. But apparently, the evidence of a lack of power, of having a form of godliness which falls short of the gospel, is loving yourself, loving money, being boastful, being proud, being without love, not lovers of the good, being unholy. If you believe this bit of the Bible, then apparently... The church's lack of power is most visible not in a lack of miracles or the supernatural, but in its unholiness. In my unholiness. This is personal. It's personal when God shows up to Isaiah, isn't it? If you've still got your Bible open, well done. Look at verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah sees God, he is ruined because he sees the unholiness of everything around him in light of God's holiness. The impact of seeing God is that Isaiah is undone. Everything that he's learned about fitting the world to himself and himself to the world pales into insignificance when he sees Yahweh and recognizes him as Lord. And I want to suggest that this isn't a coincidence. Actually, this is where God's grace and your transformation collide. This is where 
the power of the gospel begins to form holiness in the people of God. Rome Williams puts it like this. Revelation is essentially the gift of a wisdom that opens up fresh possibilities for human action, or more accurately, that restores possibilities lost by human sin and ignorance. And this is why you need a revelation if you're going to have a personal renewal. Revelation is the gift that lifts you out of the rut that you're stuck in and gives you power to make a different choice. This is where it goes beyond therapy. Therapy can give you awareness, but it cannot give you power. Jesus can change your life. Revelation, the kind of encounter that undoes Isaiah, gives you the power to act differently. And it does this not at least not just by provoking you to unceasing mental fight, but by holding in front of your eyes a vision of the holiness of God that makes your heart burn within you. And what's your job? To just keep looking at that. To just keep looking at Jesus. To keep the cross in front of your eyes. To pray the lines of um, the hymn, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Rowan Williams again says, writes this, what we come to see in our hearts as a result of consistent practice, the consistent practice that he's actually talking about here is praying the Jesus prayer, Lord have mercy on me a sinner, over and over again, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, crying out to Jesus as Christine led us. What we come to see in our hearts as a result of that kind of consistent practice is the fire of Christ's presence burning away the filth which covers the surface of the soul. What you see if you will look at God long enough is that he can actually cure you of sin. He can actually make it possible for you to make a different choice. There is power in this gospel, Isaiah is undone by his revelation. He's ruined by his revelation because that's what revelation has to do to humans. It has to undo the kind of thinking that you and I fall into when we start to evaluate the world around us according to how it might best meet my wants and needs because that's not reality. You and me, we don't belong on the throne. That filth needs to be cleansed. It has to be confronted by the reality that God is on the throne and it's his kingdom that's coming. You mean, we need a revelation. We need God's grace to give us a gift of wisdom because nothing we can do ourselves is going to get us out of that mess. You see it in our second reading? Even seeking your own salvation is going to get you in deeper. You're just using more and more things to serve your own aims. Listen again to the words of Jesus in our second reading. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. We need a revelation. And God has given us one. I'm not telling you that you need to become like me with insight into an esoteric mystery that if you fasted long enough might become clear to you. What's the revelation? Where's the power? It's in the cross. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's in the Jesus prayer. It's in crying out to Jesus. It's in throwing yourself on the mercy of Jesus. 
In our precarious change of era, the cross still stands and it's still powerful. It still has the power to undo you because it's still holy, holy, holy. And it calls this church to be the same. It calls you and I to belong to that kind of body. It calls you and me to that kind of holiness. Listen, I am a poor messenger of this gospel power. As I've prepared, I've been struck by my own unholiness again and again and again. I need this vision of Jesus held before my eyes, offering me new possibilities because I need the chance to react with grace because I'm held in his love rather than needing to secure myself. I need the opportunity to forgive because I can see beyond the way my anger wants to reshape the world in my own image to the contours of God's kingdom. I need the power to avoid excess because I know my place in the order of the kingdom that sustains all things. I need the safety to put my pride away because I trust that God is working all things together for my good and his glory. I need the energy to overcome my idleness because I can see my part in his purposes unfolding around me. I need the ability to rejoice in the race God has called me to run, knowing that he delights in me regardless of what's going on for others. That's why I'm so grateful for this revelation, because I need the power, and so do you. There's power in this gospel. Trinity Church, Nottingham, do not, do not have a form of godliness and deny its power. Don't let the revelation of God's love in the cross of Christ flounder within you without producing its fruit. That is not the church that God has called you and I to belong to. So what could you do? What can you do this morning, this week? Oh, fix your eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> How might you do that? If you're new to church or exploring faith, I want to encourage you to be open to an encounter with God. Seriously. Sit down and ask him if he's real to show himself to you. Maybe you're convinced that God's real, but you've never really invited him to shape your life. Then maybe this week you sit with him and you allow him to undo you, to ruin you. You take your guard down and let him show you himself and you ask him how he sees you. If you do that, get ready to have your world turned upside down. Maybe... Maybe that's not you. Maybe, like me, you grew up coming to church. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you're the kind of person who still has their Bible open at Isaiah 6. It's time for one last point. Look at the chapter number. No, seriously, look at the chapter number. I can get a point out of basically anything. This is chapter 6. What does that mean? It means that Isaiah has been prophesying Scripture for five whole chapters and then he sees the Lord. You could be coming for a long time and not have been prophesying scripture for five whole chapters. 
there is more for you. Reawaken your expectation. Maybe you find yourself here and you're here to heal. And it's such a gift that we've seen many people trust Trinity to be part of that journey for them. And it's part of my story too. But there is more for you. Why not take time this week to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life again? I mean, get serious and get specific. Ask him where that is not the case and what he wants you to change and then do it. Ask him what fruit of the Spirit he wants to form in you. Ask him what gift he has for you to move in. Ask him who he wants you to forgive and then do it. Maybe you've been Jesus-centered for a long time. Maybe it's part of your regular practice to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord again and again. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if that's where you are? Wouldn't it be amazing to see God pour out more of his power in this church? Would you join us? Would you join me in praying for that and seeking to move in that? Would you ask Jesus what your contribution is in that and then bring it? Move in God's power. There's more for you. So the, this, is, this is homework. Um, we have other things to do now. So, but as you go, don't miss the opportunity to do something off that. Do all the things. I don't mind. Um, but right now, I want to invite you to respond in a couple of ways. First, we're going to offer ash to everyone. This is a marker of the beginning of Lent. It's a way of identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Having his cross drawn on your head as a sign of your joining in with God's revelation of himself in the death and life of Jesus. And I'm going to lead you through some liturgy. And this is going to be our shared response today. We're going to come in penitence, inviting God to reveal himself in us through Lent. And I'll lead you through some liturgy and direct you to a station. But second, as that happens, we've got some folks around um, who are wearing purple lanyards who would love to pray with you. There are other folks around who are not wearing purple lanyards, but have prayed with people lots of times who would also love to pray with you. Wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, whatever, if anything, spoke to you from this second of our sermons and whatever spoke to you from the first one, which Christine waters. Wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, if you want a fresh revelation this morning, we'd love to stand with you in prayer and to pray with expectation because our God is a God who reveals himself. So I'm going I'm to invite you to move to stations for Ash. But as, that, as, that, as you've had that, when you've got a cross on your head, if you want a fresh revelation, I want to invite you to come to the front. Do not be shy. Do not be slow. Someone will meet you here. And if you're wearing a purple lanyard, do I get to the front of the queue so that you can meet people here? Thank you. Um, but we're going to move into this next piece. So I want to invite you to quiet your heart and open. God, I invite you to open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus this morning. 
his grace.